and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here you hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme. Music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And uh, here we are in the middle of June, um, and the Mark Time Awards are now, um, they've now been released at the uh, Here Now Festival, which is taking place as we speak in Kansas City, Missouri, that uh, saw a little bit of audio drama history. Those awards were previously given out at Convergence, which happens the, during the July 4th weekend um, in Bloomington, Minnesota. The previous managers of the awards uh, were Great Northern Audio Theater, primarily uh, Brian Price, Jerry Stearns, and Chris Markman. And they, uh, Jerry basically wanted to step down after many, many years managing the awards. And this year, uh, Judith Walcott and David Osman, uh, David, of course, from Firesign Radio Theater and uh, Judith of her own Otherworld Media, uh, took over. Um, they added some new awards and uh, sort of brought in some new judges and slightly tweaked the way um, the uh, awards were held, uh, continued on the tradition and actually expanded it. And uh, we just had a banquet, as I understand it, Wednesday of this week in June 2015 to celebrate those winners. So uh, congrats to all of them. You can do far, far worse than to source a lot of your new audio listens from the Mark Time Awards winners at marktimeawards.org. This week, we are going to feature the one who won the Silver Award this year on the Mark Time. Uh, The Gold Award actually went to the Futurologist, which was by the NPR production uh, Snap Judgment, uh, which I was quite excited to see. Uh, enter into the mix. Um, now, Protophonic uh, coming in the silver is by producer Dieter Zimmerman uh, from Cape Town, South Africa. Brings in a very, very different kind of sound uh, to me, maybe the purest science fiction audio producer out there. And when I say pure, I mean um, uh, based on science fiction ideas, uh, sort of in the style of Isaac Asimov. Uh, much of uh, science fiction audio is sort of a Often campy, usually funny, uh, some sort of descendant of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in some sort of way, whereas uh, Dieter is not. He has a very different tradition. He is uh, of German South African descent, um, and so has, and a lot of his influences are sort of 70s German radio as well as the BBC. Uh, radio dramas of that era, so it's a very different kind of sound, um, and we'll actually hear a little bit about uh, how one of our uh, contributors has interpreted that kind of sound. This is uh, we're going to preface this uh, playback of uh, Dieter Zimmerman's Protophonic, the Brad Lansky and the Rogue era. We're going to play you that full-length production, but we're going to do something a little bit unconventional and play uh, most of a review for that same title. Uh, sort of coincidentally, uh, David Reinstrom, our reviews editor, uh, uh, started working on that title, and then I also wanted to feature here here on Radio Drum Revival, so we're going to, against David's better judgment, um, play some of that review uh, prior to us uh, starting the actual show. Um, and I will say, we are going to cut it off just before um, David gives you too much of his own personal opinion, so we sort of have de-reviewed the review, uh, but he does do a nice uh, summary of, some, of sort of giving you the context of what the Brad Lansky series is all about and what Dieter has been doing as an artist, so I hope you'll enjoy that. Uh, sorry, David, for chopping up a review, but um, like this, I think this is a really great introduction to the longer piece. From the shores of Lake Michigan to the ears of the world, this is Radio Drama Reviews, a production of Radio Drama Revival. I'm David Reinstrom. This week, it's Protophonic's latest entry in the Brad Lansky science fiction series, Brad Lansky and the Rogue Era, written by J.D. Venney and produced and scored by Dieter Zimmerman. Brad Lansky is a cool-as-a-cucumber explorer who flies all over the galaxy with his pal Alex John in their ship, The Full Advantage. They cross immense distances by traveling along a series of superstrings outside of normal space-time called the subway. 
It's thousands of years in the future, and artificial life has overtaken biological life. There is an uneasy peace between humankind and Gaia, the General Artificial Intelligence Assembly. In this future, there's super speed travel, there's brain state storage, and holy cow is there a lot of body modification. This installment, Rogue Era, is the sixth part of a series that's been going on for over 10 years. This is a South African production, and if you're not used to the accents, it's going to be pretty strange for a couple of minutes, until your ears adjust. I first listened to the Brad Lansky series a few years ago, when the production team won a Mark Time Award for excellence in science fiction audio. I remembered listening to one of the pieces that had won the prize, Brad Lansky in the 4D-verse in the car, on the road from Chicago to Minneapolis. This was a mistake. Do not listen to these audio dramas in the car. Do not listen to these audio dramas and speakers in your kitchen while you do the dishes. This is a headphones-only kind of audio drama because it can be very quiet and very subtle. There's even a note on their website that they quite crankily don't believe in heavy-handed compression, which, if you're as irritated by the loudness wars in pop music as I am, you'll appreciate. So there's a lot of dynamic range, some loud and a lot of soft. This is an audiophile's dream. but. If you listen in the car, you'll lose a lot of delicate frequencies to road noise, and then you'll be frustrated with the piece and find it boring. It's not boring. What it is, is trippy. The series requires your full attention in order to be processed in any kind of way that makes sense. I read a review on sffaudio.com by Scott Danielson that compared them to Meatball Fulton's Ruby series for ZBS, which I've just started to get into. Ruby the Intergalactic Gumshoe is funnier than Brad Lansky, and more didactic, but they have a lot in common stylistically. They're kind of quiet, subtle, and slow-moving, and they both lean heavily on music. What first grabbed me about the Brad Lansky series is that it's some of the only audio drama I've ever heard that is impressionist. Most of the time, clarity is the storytelling goal of this medium. You're missing the visual component of television or cinema, and so it makes a kind of sense to compensate with exposition. But you can go another way and swerve into the ambiguity that audio lends us, and in so doing, arrive at that thing writers and directors are told so often to do, show and not tell. These audio dramas is that they let the music and your imagination do the heavy lifting by providing exposition almost through metaphor. Here's an example from the fourth one, Brad Lansky in 4D verse. So much real estate, so little temptation. Sure, it's a cold desert, but there's water underground. A canyon this size must have been... Whoa! Look at that! Pfizer, SPF raised to 90. Now, they're not telling you exactly what that sunrise looks like, but they are telling you it's beautiful in a way that dialogue can't. That's the greatest strength of these stories. Just when you think you know how a scene will be expressed, they surprise you by smoothly segueing into a musical interlude, sometimes with vocals. At times, it sounded like St. Vincent had produced a drum and bass album, and that's a good thing. In this installment, Brad and Alex are returning to Earth when Alex catches Brad mooning over the 40th century equivalent of a TED Talk being given by Dr. Bryn Diaz, the most eerily beautiful woman Brad has ever seen. She's got purple skin, it's photosynthetic, and white hair, it's fiber optics. She's several hundred years old, and she has a dozen doctorates. He asks her out. Well, I'm back on terra firma and was wondering if I could buy you lunch sometime? 
I don't eat lunch. Oh. They don't get on especially well, but when a giant, invisible rogue planet is detected on a collision course with Earth, they have to work together to solve the crisis before it destroys everything and everyone. That means wrangling with Carbon Snob, a snooty AI admiral. That means exploring the terrifying rogue planet. That means fighting robot spiders. And that means all of Dr. Diaz's many biological modifications, body-mounted laser, poison immunities, extra brains, and radiation-resistant skin come into play. Alex, what the hell are you doing? Taking one for the team. No, you'll die if you take off the helmet. Oh, you didn't get the memo? We're all gonna die, Brad. I can't use the freaking goggles with this helmet. Give them to me. I can make O2 from CO2. Do it, Al. She has radiation for breakfast. Thank you, David. Um, David did say some things. Maybe I'll include it at the end. Um, uh, critiques on the piece, and you can see how you feel yourself. Um, and you're always welcome to comment on particular stories at our show notes at radiodramarevival.com. And now, without any further ado, the uh, Brad Lansky in the Rogue Era by Protophonic, based in South Africa. Shanghai Control, this is Lander One of the full advantage. Yes, we've made amazing holding patterns, but please be advised we are now low on fuel. Affirmative. Okay, Brad, we've got a six-minute window. I swear, between their fuzzy logic and our abuses, Lander's going to be the death of me. Mm-hmm. What's that? Ah, ha! Huh. I caught you ogling that crazy woman again. She's the real thing, Alex. Yeah, real crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Bryn Diaz. species is dying out. How can this be, you ask, when 40 billion of us inhabit Earth? To explain, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of multicellular life on this planet. These images show just a few of the outlandish body plans found in a single Cambrian lake during the so-called Cambrian explosion 540 million years ago. Never again has life produced such diversity so quickly here on Earth. Subsequent extinction events were so severe, however, that only a small fraction of body plans survived. What's with the white hair, anyway? It's fiber optic. It doesn't work with the dark skin, if you ask me. Nobody asked you, and it's melanin for harvesting ionizing radiation. <laughs> I think you'd like to harvest her radiation. Just shut up and listen. Let's skip the story of the dinosaurs and note only that an asteroid ended their reign. 
Fast forward, up the tree of life to the more recent past. Note how many more dead branches there are than living ones. These branches here are all the hominids. As an example, the Neanderthals were a very capable species that had thrived in Eurasia for half a million years until modern humans arrived from Africa 60,000 years ago. They coexisted for 5,000 years before the Neanderthal died out, their legacy amounting to less than 2% of our DNA. Now, to the very recent past, the last 50,000 years undoubtedly belonged to us humans. Our domination was so complete that on a geological time scale, we induced the most severe extinction event in Earth's history. I realize that what I'm about to say may be politically incorrect in certain circles, but the fact is that biological, or bee life, as represented by the human species, has been losing the race since the singularity a millennium ago. We are no longer at the apex of sentient life. Bee life is falling behind ever more quickly and no longer has the intellectual or physical capability to keep pace, let alone compete with A-life. In truth for us today, securing a 2% mind share of artificial or A-life seems to be an impossibly receding goal. But I'm here today to make a case for bee life. Before I get into the hows, I'd like to touch on the whys. What is there in the nature of bee life that's worth preserving? I would venture two things. Our wealth of culture. We draw strength from it, and our history gives us the confidence to affirm who we are. Secondly, a capacity for subtlety and our intimate sensory awareness of the physical world. She's actually the best explorer of all. My goodness, love really is blind. Unfortunately, our second strength is also our Achilles heel. Our biggest obstacle is that we are earthbound. Yet on Earth, CO2 levels, average temperature and ambient radiation levels are ever rising. Even worse, vital atmospheric oxygen levels have recently begun to fall. AI interventions notwithstanding, Earth is no longer a good mother to us. Our efforts at colonizing Mars have had limited success, whereas A-life flourishes on Mars, as it does on many moons of the outer planets and beyond. We can't survive the heat, cold or radiation of space without a massive energy overhead. In stark contrast, the cold vacuum suits the quantum and superconducting substrates of A-life perfectly. Make no mistake, there is a very large proverbial rock out there with our name on it, and its arrival is imminent. As old as rock and roll. She said proverbial. Oh, and somehow that makes it more real? She's humanity's best hope. You're hopeless, and humanity needs much more than hope. Now, many see the future of humanity as a virtual existence. But to me, this only equates to becoming AI and losing what makes us human. Granted, we are fragile and expensive to run, but brain state backups have put de facto immortality within the reach of many, making body plan experimentation possible. We need to adapt biologically, or we will simply die out. Consequently, 
I have embraced all progress in biologically relevant fields of research. I have dedicated my life to pushing the boundaries of biology in the human form. My bodies are the result of centuries of research in bioinformatics, biome engineering, and machine biology interfacing. My latest body has achieved capabilities only dreamed of by natural humans, and yet we remain vulnerable as a species. Humanity needs to evolve. It needs its own Cambrian diversity explosion or we will be relegated to dead links in the galactic database. Dr. Diaz, is it true that you have inhabited 25 bodies? Unfortunately, my research contract doesn't permit me to answer that. In that case, is it true that you have two brains? Technically, my current body prototype has three. A human brain with a fiber optic corpus callosum that can be switched off to separate the hemispheres. A quantum photonic crystal. And a new generation microbial brain. Ew. Amazing. Oh, come on, strap in, lover boy. I need to land this rust bucket. I want to talk to her. No way, man. Bad idea. Don't even think about it. Yes, hello. <clears throat> hello, Dr. Bryn. This is Dr. Diaz. Oh, yes. Sorry, uh, my mistake. May I ask who's calling? My name is Brad Lansky. I'm an explorer and, uh... Yes, Mr. Lansky, I know who you are. Your reputation precedes you. What can I do for you? Well, I'm back on terra firma and was wondering if I could buy you lunch sometime? I don't eat lunch. Oh, of course. Then maybe a walk? A walk? Yes. In the park? What's this in connection with? Nothing. Um, I mean, we're both explorers of a sort, and I thought that some cross-fertilization would be good. Cross-fertilization? Of ideas. I wanted to exchange ideas. I have 15 minutes tomorrow at 1, New Human Institute Gardens. Okay. Great. See you then. Goodbye. Well, that first impression made a pretty crater. I'm going to see you tomorrow. Yeah, lucky for you, I don't have any plans to resign as your wingman anytime soon. You need some serious coaching. Meanwhile, I'm going back to my place for a much-needed drink. Call me tomorrow after your date, lover boy. Mm-hmm. <sighs> 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 
News Channel on. This just in from Gaia Syndicated Newsfeed. It appears there is a large object on a collision course with Earth. The object itself is invisible, but several observatories have now confirmed its existence. The best initial estimates for time of impact is nine months, but there is a high degree of uncertainty at this time due to the invisibility of the object. What the hell? We will keep you updated on this news item as more resources are brought to bear on this issue. Invisible? So tell me about the state of the art in bioengineering. Here, looking at it, I'm both project and project architect. Is it all organic? Just about. All the best capabilities of four billion years of evolution in one bio. How much of your DNA is natural? About 30%. Most of it is from biotech synthesis. But my own DNA is only the tip of the iceberg. Most of the real work is in the xenogenic realm. You mean microbes? Yes, metagenomics. There are 10 times as many microbial cells in our bodies as human cells, 200 times more microbial genes than human genes. In terms of organisms, 10,000 different species inhabit five main surfaces, nose, mouth, skin, lungs, gastrointestinal tract. Fascinating. A major science team has managed to calculate certain dimensions of the invisible near-Earth object. Their observations suggest that its mass and diameter are roughly of the order of the planet Mercury. You must be kidding. Cole Brad. Now the team has emphasized that their methods are crude, that their results have not yet been corroborated, and that they themselves need to repeat the observation many times in order to attain a clear result. We now cross over to an expert at the L2 Observatory who has published some of the first results in the scientific community to get a better understanding of the accuracy of his methods. Some of the biggest trending questions right now are, what is it? And how do we know it exists if it's invisible? And is it a black hole? Well, it's not completely invisible. It's distorting the star field behind it ever so slightly. It's really the most interesting object I've ever seen. Help us understand, Professor. Are you saying it's not blocking any stars from view? How do we know it's not a black hole? Oh, it's, it's much too warm for a black hole, and we've pretty much ruled out any other exotic object of stellar origin. It's cold by human standards, but we can actually see it quite clearly in the far infrared. We're fairly sure now that it's a rogue planet. Pick up the phone, Brad. Okay, thank you, Professor. While we wait for other sources to weigh in on this, can you explain how you calculated the mass of this... this planet? Yes, of course. 
Gravitational microlensing is the routine way of measuring the mass of a dark object, such as a rogue planet, but we had to invent a new way of doing it because of the way that this planet bends visible light around it. Answer the freaking phone. Network congested. Try again later. God damn it! All human senses are greatly enhanced. New senses and capabilities have been added from the plant and animal kingdoms. So give me some examples. I can regulate my body temperature through my feet, survive in space for short periods, and uh, eat and breathe almost anything organic. My eyes have biolasers that are my interface with machines and AIs, but can also be used as weapons. Wow. I have echolocation gear and a phased array in my forehead. Is that like a tractor beam? Yes, a weak one, but enough to move light objects at a distance. It's amazing. And you have white hair, an unusual combination with dark skin. My hair is glass fiber for trapping solar energy. But now, I'm probably boring you. We've run out of time, and I meant to ask you about your time in 4D-verse. I'll tell you all about it if I can see you again. I don't think so. My body doesn't belong to me, property of the Human Institute. Yes, but your mind does. A mind 400 PhDs ahead of you... Is that a challenge? I'm high maintenance. I need a huge lab to keep my performance optimal. I'm just saying we could spend some spare time. I don't have any leisure time. Okay. Well, if you ever need a friend... I'm sorry, there's an urgent call I need to answer. (sighs) Is everything okay? (sighs) How can this be? What's wrong? Dr. Diaz? It's the end of the world. Well, we have our orders from Gaia, Mars Shuttle. This is madness. How do they think the rich and well-connected are going to survive on Mars? Humans were never much good at thinking as a species. How many days until impact? T-minus 182 days. And they're sure it's a planet? Yes, and it is the size of Mercury and on a perfect intercept trajectory with Earth. (laughs) What are the chances? We should perhaps not be too surprised. Rogue planets do outnumber revolving planets 1,000 to 1. But its near invisibility is puzzling. If not downright suspicious... Be that as it may, it is now 104 astronomical units away, only three and a half times the orbit of Neptune, which makes it six months until both it and the Earth are completely obliterated. But why the hell wasn't it spotted? It's in the Phoenix constellation, in the southern sky at 42 degrees below the galactic plane. This region falls in Sol's near-Earth blind spot. Adding to that, its transparency explains why it was never spotted. And you believe that? Where did it come from? It is approaching at 1,000 kilometers per second, so it might feasibly have been ejected by the ANCAR system. ANCAR, ANCAR... A giant binary system, 85 light-years away. If it did originate there, then it would have taken 26,000 years to reach Earth. I'm telling you, those frickin' AIs knew about this. Alex, your conspiracy theories are really getting on my nerves.
ships long. T minus 151 days. Earth is in chaos. The unthinkable is being quantified, and it is clear that not even 1% of Earth's people can expect to be evacuated. The inner solar system is assembling Earth Armada, the largest military fleet in history. All other vessels, myself included, are assisting with the evacuation. I am on my second leg to Mars, ferrying evacuees and supplies. This rapid turnaround is made possible by a fortunate close approach of the Red Planet. warships that are Earth Armada and our best hope have departed for the rogue planet. Although each of these ships can reach 10% of light speed, the planet is so close now that most of their time will be spent accelerating and decelerating. According to the Bi Admiral's press office, this means their average speed will only be 2%, and we understand they will be arriving in 25 days or T minus 118 days. Let's cross over to our science reporter at L2 Observatory now for the latest stats on the rogue planet itself. Thank you, Kathy. Astronomers have managed to tease out the basic components of its atmosphere using non-visible spectra. It's mostly nitrogen, water vapor, and carbon dioxide. There are only small traces of methane and oxygen. We're also pretty sure now it has thick cloud cover. It's still a very dark place, Kathy, but maybe not as cold as we first thought. Still, no electromagnetic radiation whatsoever, and no, we still don't know how or why it's invisible, but I'm sure we'll find out as soon as the fleet gets there. Back to you. Ship's log, T minus 135. The surreal has become even stranger. An eccentric human billionaire on his deathbed has made public the coordinates of a subway exit that falls right on the flight path of the rogue planet. He won the coordinates in a game of poker years ago, but kept them secret until now because he didn't feel humanity deserved to survive. Apparently his granddaughter changed his mind. Brad and Alex have immediately, and with most urgent speed, begun making plans for a mission to the rogue planet by way of this new subway exit. Don't put me on hold again. 
Yes, I want all eight suits for free. Where does he think he's going to spend his money? Offer him a ride to Mars if that'll do it. Brad, we're going to need six days to get there. Okay. Seven days for prep, six days to get there, which should arrive at T-minus 122 days. Mm. Four days before the Armada. Brad, I have Dr. Diaz on hold. Bryn. Bryn? Well, that's a surprise. Sound screen. Hello? Dr. Diaz? Brad, I didn't know who to call. What's wrong? They bombed my apartment, all my things. Oh, no. Why? They're accusing me of being responsible for the rogue planet. But how? Oh, a silly throwaway comment I made in a talk. What comment? About a big proverbial rock with our name on it. They're just desperate mobs now. They've attacked my lander too. I gave up my body for science, my life. Now they've taken all my things, my connection to the past, what's real. I'm very sorry, Bryn. And the irony is, I can't even survive without my lab, can't even leave this rock. But I can do something. Come with us. We're going to the rogue planet. No. I'm moving into the lab. I might have enough time to develop a better body for the humans on Mars. Seriously, Bryn. I'll need you on the rogue planet. We all need you. It's no use, Brad. I can't survive without my lab. I'll arrange for your lab to come. How will you manage that? We still have some friends in high places. Come right now, Bryn. Now is our time to actually fight for our little corner of the cosmos. I don't know, Brad. What are you planning to do? Well, for one thing, get there before the Armada starts shooting so that we can learn what we're dealing with. For another, to never give up. But it's a military operation. The Bi-Admiral could have us court-martialed for interfering. It's not a military zone until they get there. But what possible effect can we have on the course of a planet, for God's sake? I don't know, Bryn. What I do know is that regular planets are never invisible. And if nothing else, I at least want to know who or what destroyed Earth. Don't you want to know? Okay. I'll come, for what it's worth. You're right. It's better than waiting here for the end. Minus 121 days. We are in orbit around the rogue planet which is rocky and dark, but no longer invisible. The probes we dropped sampled nitrogen, CO2, some hydrogen and lots of water vapor. Very little oxygen. Remarkably, there were also nanoparticles suspended in the upper atmosphere that seemed to be artificial in nature.
Vantage, your theory on the nanoparticles, please. I think they are metamaterials that have been engineered to bend parallel rays in the visible and infrared spectra around the planet, making for an effective cloaking device. From a distance. But now that we're close to it, it doesn't work because the rays aren't parallel. Affirmative. And still no signs of EM radiation? Nothing but heat and light. However, there are high levels of ionizing radiation. The radioactive crust and the CO2 blanket are what keep the planet warm. Okay. Fact one. Someone has gone to great lengths to hide this planet. Let's have the recon stats so far. Okay. Similar atmospheric pressure as Earth, but the radiation levels are like a nuclear war zone. Yeah, we'll need rock samples to know if it's natural or not. But based on the temp, it is. Ambient starts at 50 degrees C and goes into the hundreds. So despite the rain, there isn't any stable water on the surface. It's just too hot. I have completed a full scan of the equatorial band. There are many large and medium-sized craters evenly spaced around the entire planet. No small craters, presumably due to water erosion from the copious rain. No new mountains or signs of plate tectonics. Still running my fractal analysis. Life forms? Nothing moving on the surface. The life I have sampled so far from the high atmosphere is carbon-based. I cannot provide more detail at this time, but simple life seems to cover much of the surface. Algae, perhaps moss. These microbes probably breathe CO2 or the rock itself. No signs of tech? None yet. Anything else? I am puzzled by the ratio of large to medium craters. Statistically, there are too few medium or too many large. Okay, I've seen many planets, but this is very weird. Everybody, suit up. We're all going down to get personal with our carbon-based cousins. Advantage, choose a suitable crater and keep scanning everything. senseless in this stupid suit. At least it's protecting you. Okay. The land has found a good vantage point on the rim and is standing by. Temp is 62 degrees Celsius. I, I can't see anything in, in all the steam. Folks, we need results. The trigger happies arrive in two days. Mm. Well, <laughs> we've already taken first blood, definitely squashing critters in their slime beds. Scanner showing metal underground but the radiation is messing with it. Try the 4D goggles, Alex. Advantage, we're in the crater. Pitch black as expected. Infrared vis is crappy. Have you finished your high-risk scan of this crater? Affirmative. Setting map now, but with all the cloud cover, my map is probably worse than yours. Brad, I have found something. I can see a red light. Get down! Where? Nine o'clock at eye level. Warning. Radiation safety levels exceeded. I can't see it. Your eyes are better than mine. A lot. Don't think it's a weapon. Alex, 
What the hell are you doing? Taking one for the team? No, you'll die if you take off the helmet. Oh, you didn't get the memo? We're all gonna die, Brad. I can't use the freaking goggles with this helmet. Give them to me. I can make O2 from CO2. Do it, Al. She has radiation for breakfast. Just hope it's the right brand. Here we go. Bon appetit. Ignore the OS. Just focus where you want to look. Similar range and magnification as plain old optical by Knox. Brad, can you hear me? Yes, what is it? A few of the medium craters have smooth parabolic floors. They could be radio telescopes. Good. So there is some tech around. Why so little? We found a light. We're going to go silent until we've checked it out. Roger that. Okay, are we going? Warning. Radiation safety levels exceeded. Find shelter immediately. Bryn, see anything? I'm not sure. It should turn on automatically. It's totally dark, so I'm trying different spectra, but this isn't very good in the non-visible. Okay, we don't have the time. Alice can train you on the goggles when we get back to the... Ah! What? Bright blue flash of something. Talk to me. It's gone. I've lost it. I'm a bit blinded now. Don't know what I was looking at, but definitely patterns. Repeating structure. Okay, forget the goggles. Take us to the red light, and then we need to go or we'll be cooked. Ready, Al? Ready. Follow me. say yet, but it's, it's on the crater wall. Combat mode active. Perimeter scan. 180 degrees clear. Careful. It's just a tiny red light on a machine surface. Hang on. There's a big surface area here that's been machined. Maybe it's a door. Can you see any scraping lines in the... I can hear something. It's coming closer. Get down! Spiders! Ships log. T minus 119 days. 
My crew made it back despite the surprise attack by a dozen or so spider-like flying machines. Alex sustained a laser wound in one eye and both were exposed to an unquantified dose of radiation. Bryn appears to be unscathed and is studying one of them in my lab. Without her, they would not have survived, and one has to admire her presence of mind in bringing back what must be a machine head. Hi. How are you doing? I'm fine, but I need my lab. The change history should get here in the next 24 hours with your gear. So, clearly everything happens underground. Yes, what I saw must have been many levels of chambers. Well done on bringing back a head, and for saving our skins. We got very lucky. Bryn, I know this isn't the time or the place, but I, I just wanted to tell you that I... It's not me you want, Brad. It's my body, my capabilities. Brad? The Bi-Admiral's cohort is requesting a full report from us. The Armada will be here in 18 hours. Got it. Thanks. So what have you found so far? Ten articulated legs with tools and welding lasers. Head mounted under the body for protection and hand-eye coordination. Plain old infrared vision, but 360 degrees. They look like electronic tech construction robots, smart enough to be sentient. If they had been soldiers, we wouldn't have stood a chance. I guess we surprised them. I need to go in. You're right, we need to find out a lot more, but underground, in their nest, what chance do we have? You? Slim to none. The added radiation alone would be fatal. But that's okay, I'm going in stealth mode anyway. What? You want to go alone? Time is of the essence. That's true. Look, I'm not suggesting we wait for the fleet, but I don't see how they won't find you. They're machines. I have my bag of tricks. And my pride. Okay, then on one condition. Please, don't argue. This is what I have to do. That you take two items of gear. All external gear compromises my camo. But the 4D goggles will allow you to see them coming before they see you. <laughs> Didn't see them last time. You don't know how to use them. Just spend an hour with Alex and he'll train you. I'll spend ten minutes, but I'm ditching them the second they get in the way. And an NCU. A neutrino comms unit? State-of-the-art military. Virtually undetectable and can happily make calls right through a planet. Huh. So you just stay in your orbit? No problem. How big? One infantry pocket. Subvocal won't work. Nope. All mental. Just think of me and I'll be with you. Wow. Finally a useful gadget. Okay. Advantage. How long before we pass over the same crater? 31 minutes in this orbit. Is there enough time for a planet fall? Only if you jump in 10 minutes. But I can drop you anywhere you like. No, don't change course. Bad for stealth. Okay, I'm gonna spend five minutes with Alex, and then I'm off. Right. Okay, I'll get the NCU. Meet you at the airlock.
was five minutes really enough on the goggles? What can I say? She's a supersonic student. Hatch opening. Here and there, the same red lights. 
It's the same blue. What is it? Water. Bright blue. A huge pool. Same color I saw in the goggles. It must be Cherenkov radiation. What? Nuclear fission? Yep. Cooling. Heavy water. Well, what are the radiation levels in there? You don't want to know. I can see something at the bottom. Looks organic. Trying the phased array on it. Damn it to hell, it's too heavy. Need a closer look. No, Bryn. See? If you had a body like mine, we could go skinny dipping in nuclear reactors. Just get the hell out of there. Got it. It's a bone or something, not machine. Okay, send the lander. I'm coming out. Wait. Two machines flying slowly toward a red light. One is hanging back. The other has covered the light spot. What's it doing? Docking, I think. They're moving on. I'm gonna look into it. What do you see? It's a fiber. Laser light. Seems to be wavelength multiplexed. So for comms? Must be. I'm gonna record as much as I can. Okay, but please watch your back, Bryn. Ship's log. T minus 118 days. The change history has arrived with Bryn's entire lab. She boarded immediately and is studying the organic sample she found. I uploaded her recording from the optic fiber and am focusing on deciphering the machine's language. The change history also brought a dossier on both halves of the Bi-Admiral, courtesy of Geary, an old and trusted friend. The first ships of the great fleet from Earth are arriving, a stark reminder of how desperate the situation is for all of us. Did you get the lowdown on the Bi-Admiral? Oh yeah, and he, she, it, or whatever it is, scares the living daylight out of me. How so? Well, for starters, how can the highest decision-making body of Earth be split right down the middle between A-life and B-life? Yes, must be a concession to B-life since Earth is at stake. But if each contingent has 50% of the vote, how are the decisions made if they disagree? It's a military post and a secret, so we'll never know. Then who is the AI in the Admiral? Oh, this freaking AI is the worst kind. The one that hates humans. Oh, no. Yeah, and he thinks we soiled the nest and need to be kicked out. And this isn't paranoid Alex speaking? How did he get into the Admiralty if he's so radical? I don't know, but these are all facts. I mean, look at this. Remember when they discovered the poorest and off-grid humans in Africa and Asia were being irradiated from orbit and sterilized in their sleep? His brainchild. That's appalling. What about the human half? He's a military academic. Seems pretty clean. Still haven't heard back from the Bi-Admiral on my report. Well, what were you expecting? Collaboration? An offer to help? 
Why? Why would he bother to help us? Because everything points to a deeper intelligence and finding it is crucial. Why? Because who knows what engineering feats they might be capable of, given how they've transformed their planet. Brad, can we talk? Go ahead, Bryn. Is your lab up and running? Yes. Well, enough for now. Good. And what body maintenance have you done so far? Biome tweaking, uh, oxygenation, some cell repair. Brad, can we put aside my ablutions for a minute? Oh, sorry. I was just... I was able to extract DNA from the bone I found. This life form is carbon-based, but adapted to high radiation levels. How can you tell? Much shorter DNA strands. Ten base pairs as opposed to our four. Many copies of each chromosome in each cell. Amazing! Wow. Fantastic work. Can you tell what they look like? No. Can't predict their form. The DNA is too alien, too little time. But I can't tell. We're dealing with a very complex life form. <coughs> Are you okay? Yeah. Just radiation sickness. I'm worried about you. I really hope you know what you're doing. Brad, we've all been summoned to the sim deck by Carbon Snob, Vice Admiral of the Armada. Yes. Brad. Oh. Okay, Bryn. On account of your health, I'm ordering you to stay on your ship and get some rest. I think I should take part in a discussion. Trust me, Bryn. It's better you didn't. Why? Because we don't know enough about your latest find to produce an executive report. We'll just get stuck in red tape. Plus, they are not going to like what we're going to tell them about the machines. Okay, then. But I'll continue working. I wish I'd found the DNA first. This is crucial for dealing with the Admiralty. Agreed. We'll talk soon. Well done, Al. Sometimes your paranoia can be pretty useful. Paranoia? You know that psycho AI will treat a superhuman like her as a direct threat. Please stand by. The Admiralty will contact you in... 5... 4... 3... 2... 1... This is not the time for civilians to be playing practical jokes. He's dead serious. You expect me to believe an alien intelligence uses exactly the same software communication protocol as invented by Earth engineers 2,000 years ago. Not only that, the hardware layer uses the same wave division multiplexing tech of 4,000 years ago. Preposterous. Why? They've been heading straight for Earth for tens of thousands of years. What do you think their parabolic craters are for? You did tell the Bi-Admiral about those, right? The Bi-Admiral's situational awareness is far greater than yours. And I'm afraid you're contradicting your own hypothesis. That this planet hosts an advanced civilization, the likes of which would certainly not make use of such primitive tools. We're obviously missing something. Indeed. Radio telescopes do not an advanced civilization make. Even the elaborate radio science. You're forgetting about the feat of making a planet invisible. Manufacturing particles at the nanoscale is well within their capabilities, based on our assessment. Okay, granted. But surely not keeping the whole planet evenly blanketed with them? To be frank, I don't feel that you are capable of grasping the gravity of the situation. Was that pun intended? My point exactly. As of now, we no longer have the luxury of time to wait and see where your conjectures might lead. (laughs) 
What's happened? For your information, we have just located the source of said nanoparticles. They are emanating from a single volcanic plume. Okay. Your teams will need a few hours to check that out. We'll analyze our new data. Can we agree that you won't start shooting until then? Well, I will convey your plea to the Bi-Admiral. Don't put yourself out. What's the matter with you, Brad? I know you want to check out that volcano. No time. So th that deal was just to get the brass off your back? Yep, delegate. By time. Advantage, talk to me. We're beginning to make sense of the language. Wow, you cracked their encryption already? There is no encryption to speak of. What? You must be kidding. It appears they are not expecting to be spied upon. Well, that's naive. Or perhaps they all have a powerful common purpose. All cultures have dissenters, even machines. Tell us what you know. We don't have any time. So far it's all very technical, almost exclusively engineering speak. Although there are many words and terms I have yet to decipher, there is one particular non-engineering term that puzzles me. Yes, yes, what is it? Them. Who? They are referred to quite often. As in us and them? Affirmative. Well, don't they have a name? They have no further attributes in this dataset. Damn it, dataset's too small. In what context are they mentioned? All we have is a third-person object, plural, gender unknown. No, not grammatical. What semantic context? Them seems to inform some design decisions. Several of the longer conferences end with assertions of attaining the optimum solution for them. And you think this is a, what do you call it? A powerful common purpose? Yes, maybe, but on such a limited data set. Well done. Okay, we need to know who they are. Start by studying exactly what the machines are designing for them. First prize, of course, is for where are they now? Come, Alex. Let's talk this through in the galley. Sound screen? Who are we hiding from? Thousands of spying warships. Oh, good point. Okay, let's hear your theory on them so far. Well, they could be anything. Other machines, present or past. Ancestors, gods, any life form on this planet or in the star system they came from. We don't even know if they're sentient. We have to narrow it down. Make some assumptions. Okay, let's assume they're sentient, since the machines are also. Yes, and they seem to be working for them. So machines are servants and them, the masters? That's my guess. But what are they building? They're building ships. Sound screen? How did you hear us through the sound screen? Your cup's a little loudspeaker. I visually decoded the vibrations. Son of a glitch. Sorry, we didn't know you'd come aboard. Please, join us. Here's a picture we extracted from the data. Oh, my ghost. It's a ship, all right. It's a... a, a what do you call it? An atmospheric-class bomber transporter. Genko Gruthion, perhaps. But it's a... It's a soul ship. Pretty close, except for the cargo and life support systems. If my interpretation is correct, they intend to stuff these ships with plutonium-238, something this planet has in abundance, and which is their preferred source of energy. And for nuclear weapons, of course. 
and toxic to humans, with a half-life of 88 years. Well, let me get this straight. They copied our ships. With just months until the end of the world, they must be in a hurry. It's easier to copy than to start from scratch. I have registered three nuclear explosions on the surface of the planet. Damn it. Find out from the fleet what happened. So, Bryn, you're saying they're building ships to escape a doomed planet? I would be surprised if they didn't, but it doesn't add up. Brad, the fleet bombed the nanoparticle volcano. I have carbon snob on hold. What may I ask is the meaning of this? We neutralized the invisibility cloak. You don't know what the repercussions might be. We'll take our chances. At least it will be visible to Earth in a few days. Do you have anything useful to contribute? Yes. There's another actor in the theatre. Where? We don't know yet. But the machines work for them, so they're probably more intelligent. The machines are building ships. Where? How many? We're working on that. Fascinating. The Bi-Admiral has initiated Operation Save the Earth. Details are classified at this point, but it's all hands on deck, and that includes you. So wrap up your affairs here. But we might need your help. Then do something useful. We're sending you the codec for the machine's language. Can you merge it with what you know and return to us soonest? It will be done. And please do not contact the Bi-Admiral directly. All communication is to go through me. Aye, aye, Admiral. I've got a very bad feeling about this. I have learned from Fleet Chatter what Operation Save the Earth entails. It involves the entire fleet heading out some distance, then returning at maximum velocity and detonating all weapons at the moment of impact with the planet. What? That's totally insane! And perfect. Of course. Every last human ship will be destroyed, but half all the AI ships regrettably couldn't join the fleet in time. Worse still, it won't work. I was dreading this. Have you seen the physics? Does it stand a snowball's chance in hell of working? I mean, final outcome not destroying Earth? I tried, but the details are classified. I just know that the sooner the plan is executed, the greater the chance of the planet missing Earth. Do the simulation yourself then, right now, fast as you can. Affirmative. That damned AI Admiral has preyed on the human Admiral's human weakness. He's desperate, and he desperately wants to do something, anything, even if it means mass suicide. Why the hell won't the human admiral even talk to us? I suspect pride, a deadly weakness if ever there was one. Us getting here before the whole fleet, no doubt the AI has been using the fact that a human withheld the subway exit to keep him in his place. Well, I am not joining that party. What are we going to do? I don't know. Advantage, see if you can track down Solifuge. Every war needs a few deserters. Will do. What? That power-crazy warship? We need all the power we can get. Must I remind you we swore never to cross paths with that psycho again? I figure better the devil you know. Brad, Solifuge is waiting for you on the sim deck.
Hello, old friend. How's the dynasty building business? Must be expensive. Greetings, Brad. The Brotherhood has gone from strength to strength since we last met. How can I be of assistance? We have reason to believe there's a superior species on this planet. Yes, I've heard of this fascinating conjecture. Private channel active. Details received. Where are they? Have you signed up for Operation Kamikaze? Of course, Brad. We must all do our sworn duty. But you've already done pushing large objects out of the way. Here's a new chance to make a name for yourself as the whole world holds its breath. Right in the spotlight while the band plays in the dark. I am but a humble servant of the Brotherhood. Help us find them. I would be happy to assist as a favour in my spare capacity. You must have done the calculation for yourself. It doesn't take a supercomputer to calc the physics. Even my old ship did it. Operation Save the Earth is a risky shot, Brad, but I do believe it will work. I must agree. The numbers are futile and worse. Too far off to be politically fudgeable. We have a plan to find them, but we need you to motivate the right resources in the fleet. That should be possible while the fleet is still here. Are you suggesting I stage a coup? Brad, I have a result. Even if the fleet carried ten times the ordnance, it still wouldn't help. The planet is too large and too close and... I'm sorry, Brad. Did you hear that? Yes, Brad. I'm looking forward to the details of your plan to find these creatures. You didn't yet know the answer. Is this a case of a rational being trusting his celebrated human gut? Desperate times call for desperate measures. Ship's log. T-minus 114 days. Solifuge has mobilized a considerable amount of the fleet's computing power to custom design a nose, a microsensor that is a chiral smell receptor, meaning it can sniff out Brin's extracted DNA. He then managed to persuade Carbon Snob to have the fleet drop these sensors in as many craters as possible. Brad, the Armada is departing for Operation Save the Earth. They have only managed to cover half the craters. I am delaying my departure in order to drop sensors in the widest possible area. Thanks, Solifuge. That's a big blow for us. How much time do we have? Twelve hours until impact. What? I thought they were impacting at maximum velocity. That would have given us days, not hours. It was calculated that our ordnance would contribute the majority to our momentum, and hence the sooner impact occurred, the better. Jesus, Mary, Mother of God. He's making damn sure to wipe us out. I'm sorry, Brad. Don't be sorry, be brave. How much time can you give us? Well, my maximum speed is much higher than the slowest in the fleet, so I can stay for another six hours at most. So be it then. Drop as many senses as you can. 
nine hours. The censors have turned up nothing. The bi-admiral has still not responded to our incessant calls. We only have nine more hours to stop the madness. Then all human agency will be destroyed, followed by humanity itself. Bryn, anything? No, nothing. Do you think you might have got the sensor wrong? No way. I'm confident in the design. They're just not metabolizing. Why not? They're carbon-based. How different can they be? I don't know, Brad. Maybe they haven't been around for a long time. I don't know. I mean, such a state of shock. I feel like I'm suffocating. <sighs> I wish I could cry. Feels like the right thing to do. Cryostate. What? They're in cryostate. Good grief, you think so? Or very deep underground. Or both. So we're looking for cold temperatures? Ice. We need to look for ice. Which is completely unnatural on this planet. So it should be easy to find. Advantage. Call Solifuge. Yes, Brad? We're changing tack. We need to find subsurface ice. Where, Brad? Somewhere on this planet. Should I point out the obvious? Yes, it's a large area, but we can use radar. The temp differential is so big it should stick out like a beacon in the night. All right, Brad. I'll do my best. Solifuge has found a large body of ice under a crater. Yes! He left 20 soldier drones for us, but has now departed to join the fleet. I need to go in right away. How much time is there? Six hours until impact. Okay, go. Fast as you can. Caution. Interior airlock opening. Brad, what are you doing here? I don't want you to go. Not alone. At least take some of the soldier drones we got from Solifuge. Brad, we've been through this. I can't trust them. We just don't have the time to scan them Don't and... patronize me. I'm sorry. You're just so calm and... I just have this terrible feeling I won't see you again and I... Brad... I'm terrified, too. The last time I felt this way, I was a little girl. Exhausted by a riptide, drowning in an angry sea. But I kept calm, kept my head, and I made it through. All alone. But you're not a little girl anymore, and... That's right. And I'm not alone this time. I've got you. And a duty to my mother. Earth. All right. I will be with you. Now go... You won't stay long enough for me to live.
found a way in. Good. Use the goggles to scan for machines behind walls. Is your radar working? Yes. The ice is 1,200 meters down. From our scan, I can see a big shaft. 50 meters to your right. That seems to go all the way down. On my way. Exactly four hours until impact. Please keep the NCU on at all times so that we can track you. And Bryn. Yes, Brad. I love you. Hold that thought. I'm at the edge. There's a small blue light at the bottom. I'm taking the plunge.
down here. They were soldiers. Don't move. Just relax. We're gonna get you out. I'll just... No, please. Thing. Stay with me. Her radiation levels are off the scale. No, Bryn. We need to get you back to the lab. I saw them, Brad. They're waking up. Alex, take her feet. No. We must wait for them. You can't wait. You have radiation poisoning. I'm staying. Turn on the machine language unit, Alex. Brad! Brad! There's something moving at the bottom. Solifuge, come in. Yes, Brad. We found them. Tell the Bayer Admiral to stop. I'm sorry, Brad. We have passed the point of no return. Stopping in time is no longer possible. Warning. Secure connection lost. Data breach. Who are you? We are from Sol, the star system you have invaded. Neutrino accession triggered emergency waking sequence. Wait. Checking record. Sol star ruled out as neutrino source. No supernova detected. Neutrinos? Maybe our NCU? Is it this device? Wait. Confirmed device is source. Our waking is 5,000 Earth orbits overdue. Where are our machines? They fled when we arrived. They're now heading for the third planet in their fleet of ships. Not possible. We would never permit this. They thought of that. Your planet is about to collide with Earth, our home. Wait. Collision trajectory confirmed. Wait. Conversing with machines. in programming. Rogue evolution. Machines failed in their mandate. What are you doing here? Our star is dying. We identified your third planet as a potential home. At that time, there was no evidence of technology. Our machine's function is to wake up every generation for false corrections. Now, very late. Must act immediately. There is a second fleet incoming. Yes, from Earth. What is the meaning of this suicide? They've been sabotaged by their machines. Yeah, just like you have. Suggest divert fleet to defend fourth planet. Goal of machine invasion. The fourth planet? Your fleet must leave now. Cannot guarantee their safety. did you hear that? They're going for Mars. Solifuge, it's not too late to swerve. You need to destroy the machine fleet or Mars will also fall. You must leave now. You must leave now. Solifuge. You must leave now. You must leave now. Okay, everybody out. You must leave now. Back to the ship. Look, that crater is exploding. There, another one. Advantage, take out any rocks in our path. Oh my god. They turned on the engines. The craters, 
The craters are the engines. The planet is a ship. We're toast. Ship's log. At first, it seemed as though the rogue planet was exploding. Colossal nuclear plasma jets ignited on the same side as the incoming Armada. Where once were craters, there was only light. Great shafts of plasma hurling rocks and dust into space. Brad, Alex, Bryn and the lander were consumed by the exhaust on their way back to me. I escaped by a hair's breadth. Most of the ships in the Armada swerved at the last minute. Who knows what history will relate, but I suspect Solifuge mounted a successful coup. One quarter of the fleet was either vaporized or damaged, but enough survived to defeat a machine fleet of similar capability. Private log. Large amounts of debris from the rogue planet were hurled into space. The rogue planet itself missed Earth by a few thousand kilometers. Needless to say, the near-miss caused massive gravitational chaos on both planets, but especially on the water planet, where flooding of coastal cities assumed biblical proportions. A huge plume of new life DNA has begun to rain down from the sky, perhaps making life more resilient on a less hospitable planet. Either way, Earth has already crossed the threshold into the rogue era. End private log. Full advantage. Soul system. Disinfectant. Toast with cream cheese and chives and freshly ground pepper. Mmm, that smells good. What's a moth doing here? Must be on Earth. Why can't I see? Almost feel weird. Oh, I'm wearing an eye patch. Oh my god, the colors in the mirror. So beautiful, but there are voices. Must be one-way glass. Uh, hey, I can see two red patches behind the mirror. Oh God, are they human? I hope you know what you're doing. I told you, Doctor. Bryn made it all legal. She switched their life insurance policies and designated a different body type as beneficiary. Yeah, I don't want to know. Look, I know you owe her one, but that was them. How do you think Superwoman's going to cope with a Stone Age body like his? That's not our problem. I think she's going to use it to go completely off-grid. Hey, your problem's waking up. Better give him a lowdown. What's his name, anyway? Brad Lansky. Brad Lansky? Is he an actor? Nope. Then a nobody? No. That's somebody. <laughs> 
Good, <laughs> good one. Hope you can afford Bryn's maintenance plan. I can just hear them, but... but I think I can actually see their words in the glass. I'm not dreaming, but this feels like an engineered body. Bryn. Who's Bryn? Right, and I hope you enjoyed our show. That was Brad Lansky in the Rogue Era, a production of Protophonic that is a brainchild of Dieter Zimmerman or J.D. Venet, uh, <laughs> producers from South Africa. Thanks so much. Um, and maybe we'll get to share another bottle of bourbon sometime. Dieter would very much look forward to that these days. Um, all right. Um, now, hundreds of hours of programming at radiodramarevival.com. You've noticed this show has sort of become uh, maybe every two weeks on, on a good week 
stretch, um, just the way things have worked out. Uh, we will be actually, with a bit of luck, speaking with Casey Wayland in two weeks. He is in the midst of a Kickstarter for new We Are Alive, We Are Alive Lockdown, a new, um, I believe it's about five-hour series um, in the We Are Alive universe, but using a slightly different set of characters and a standalone piece. Um, they're well on their way to raising $50,000. I hope they'll blow through that goal and exceed it so they can do even more um, no one just about as more deserving of case than Casey of uh, your support and to show that, you know, with something like 30 million downloads that uh, fans are not just interested in hearing the material, but they're interested in materially participating and help making it because uh, without you, it's, you know, uh, why are we doing this? So uh, if you want to support all that we're doing, um, especially support Casey's work, uh, We Are Live Lockdown is currently on Kickstarter. We'll put the link to that on the Radio Drum Revival show notes, or you should be able to uh, just Google around for We Are Alive kickstarter and make it happen um and like i said hundreds of hours of programming in the back catalog at radiodrumrevival.com we recently fixed up our app um, radio drum revival that's on the google play and apple store we took out the ads uh we are working on maybe another app we'll see in the future here um and then of course on soundcloud uh, itunes and stitcher radio you can find all kinds of great radio drum revival and if you just really need some custom recommendations and the uh, 300 plus episodes in our back catalog are too much for you you really can email me at any time fred at radio and say i like x y and z uh can you recommend some shows i'd be happy to do that we have a ton of stuff in the back catalog that again is it takes a little bit of time to find uh, exactly what you you want but uh, i assure you no matter what your interests are in audio drama or if you have friends who are skeptical about audio drama and think they aren't fans of the medium uh turn them to me and i'll <laughs> make a believer out of them all right um that's a wrap for this week radio drama revival is produced by yours truly fred greenhalgh our submissions editor is monique boudreau of oral stage studios i'm um, also got david ryan's from his heart life as our review editor uh copyright of individual shows remains their original producers but do please share the this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival is a production of Radio Drama Revival LLC and his podcast at radiodramarevival.com is a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. 